0: Learning how to... different things. So, hey, did you take my, my little program, program magazine when yeah.
1: you were sitting over there? I, called, I yeah. can't find
0: my thing. But but I can't I find did, my one. I had two in my bag. In your bag? In my bag. Should we just sit here and talk Minnesotan for these people?
2: Well, you were really poor on things the whole time.
1: So, we're going to be talking about you.
2: Dude, I mean, it's one of those
1: moments I'm like, okay. need yeah, did- to. Thinking, yep. Yeah, you're good, and
2: even and if you good. did, they're only yes, yeah. audio recording it, yeah. so it wouldn't even be preserved. They want me to close the, the door. door? Yeah.
1: Okay. Great. Oh, we got, we got in the back. Great. Good afternoon. Hello. <laughs> it's well past lunch, so nobody's snappy. That's right. Um, I don't
2: know about you guys, but I've been looking forward to this all day. <laughs> thumbs up if you have to. Oh, yeah. I see nothing but a sea of thumbs that's great okay uh, well good afternoon my name is Jacqueline Langholz I'm the manager of school and group programs at Thomas Jefferson's Monticello
1: I'm Jennifer Nemi. I work for the Minnesota Historical Society I'm the program manager um, in our historic sites division at Split Rock Lighthouse
0: and I am Tim Hoagland I'm the director of education outreach programs for the Minnesota Historical Society I'm also affiliated instructor of history at the University of Minnesota
2: and you are at City Mouse and Country Mouse Supporting Student Learning in New Environments. And um, this session was born, so to speak, um, when Jennifer and I were last together, um, getting ready to fly out of SAJ, which we were classmates in. She actually missed her flight, but this story has a happy ending. Uh, because as we were sitting and talking about what a possible proposal for this conference could be and we're ourselves just about to re-acclimate to normal life. And we're coming out of three weeks of a new environment ourselves and learning in that new environment. And we started thinking about what learning in new environments looks like for the students and teachers that we work with at our sites. So that's sort of how this germ came to be. We're so glad and lucky that Tim joined the panel. And I think what our plan is, I know our plan actually, we'll see if we adhere to it or not, is to talk about um, our sites a little bit. And then this is billed as a conversation. I hope that's not a surprise to any of you. So we're going to try to keep our speaking to 30 minutes or less, which means a whole hour of all of us talking together. So we have a poll first, right?
0: Yeah, let's take a little bit of a a sample size here of kind of what uh, organizations are in the room. So, how many of you are from a larger organization with with multiple interpretive entities, museum sites, things like that? Kind of large institution people? Great, how many of you are from a very small institution where you pretty much do everything? Okay, how many of you are from like a historic site property, not necessarily a museum? Okay, how many of you are mainly uh, museum people? Okay, we've got the full cross-section. So, you know, I think the goal here is we've got a bunch of balanced, pers- you know, different perspectives here from these, these different places. But, again, as Jacqueline, say, let's we'll see what kind of a conversation uh, comes out of this.
2: I'm not quite done polling our audience, actually.
0: Okay, have I'm at a, it.
2: I want to know who's in an urban area. Keep them up higher, a little bit higher. What do you call it, urban? What do you urban call area? urban? Ooh, um, poppy, ooh. 50,000 plus. Great. 50,000 plus. People plus. Great. Things suburban. like city buses. Great. Um, and then uh, rur- suburban. Sorry, there's an in-between there. Suburban. Don't ask me to define it. Excellent. Uh, rural. You know it when you see it. Cows. Great. Eh, okay. Okay. Great. We'll talk about that uh eh in-between zone, um, and I'll
1: say I feel like I am with you on that. So, Jennifer, do you want to start us off? I will. Tim's are... Advancer, slight advancer. So when we were talking the airport, when I missed my flight, we started talking about what this looks like at our sites. And so how do you acclimate kids to your sites if the mere thought of the otherness or the strangeness of being there um, presents a barrier to their, them being able to learn like the history behind your site? So what does that look like? Um, so how do you impart the skills Um, You want them to be comfortable in your sight. And so what I did is I kind of looked back at kind of these different topics of what might make a kid a a little bit timid when they're visiting you. Um, Everybody knows Howard Gardner, Multiple Intelligence. Well, in 95, he came up with an eighth intelligence called Nature Smart. And born of that, a few years later, um, Richard Lou wrote a book called No Child Left Inside. Are you familiar with that? And he talks about nature deficit syndrome and how nowadays with um, all these scary things like the boogeyman syndrome, um, stranger danger, that more and more kids are turning to um, electronic devices and not going outside and having those natural experiences. So how many of you grew up and didn't go in the house until you were called home? Like all of us, right? Nowadays, like, how many of you have kids and it's like you have to kick them outside? Yeah. And like lock the door before they can come back in. Um, so, one thing with Gardner, when he came up with the eighth intelligence, he wanted to look at how um, deeply rooted we were in uh, the sensitivity, um, ethical, and holistic understanding of our world and the complexities of our world. And I think when we talk about educating kids, we talk a lot about the 21st century learner. And part of that is um, critical thinking skills. And so I think in part this plays to that. Um, And I think lastly, the media itself plays a huge role in this, of um, kids being afraid of the woods or kids being afraid of large cities. So we wanted to talk about that and kind of unpack that um, in this next little bit of time. So I thought I'd start out with my own site and the bear. Oh, sorry. We'll talk about our site. Let's talk Ta-da. about us. Okay. So uh, Tim and I work for the Minnesota Historical Society. Uh, we were founded nine years before Minnesota actually became a state. Um, we have the largest membership of any historical society in the nation. I think it's actually over twenty-six thousand now. Uh, we average about eight uh, eight hundred thousand visitors a year, and of those, about 20, uh, 228 are school field trip students. Um, and as you can see by that map, we have a lot of different sites. In that little circle in there, that's all the urban uh, twin cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul sites. And we have sites that go, oh boy, all the way up to my, my what looks to be a giant lighthouse and really isn't, um, down to the western corner with Jeffers Petroglyphs. So we have 26 sites um, and museums across our state.
3: 14?
1: And are 14 of those partnership sites?
0: John, how many, yes. our major sites are 14 of them, including Split yeah. Rock Lighthouse.
1: And then we have partnership. So, um, so this is where I work at Split Rock Lighthouse. We get an annual visitation of about 120,000 a year. And our main season runs from mid-May to mid-October. So um, in August, we average anywhere from about 1,100 people a day. So it gets, it gets pretty crowded. The lighthouse was designed for three people, and we have to try and pack all those in and out. But I notice with kids, when they enter our site, one of their first questions is, is the big giant rock that the lighthouse is perched on, and is it gonna fall in the lake? And because it's scary, it goes from grass to this big cliff. And so reassuring them, one, that no, indeed, the lighthouse will not fall into the cliff.
2: And even though the word split is in it, it's not gonna split, yeah. right? Yeah, there's nothing that, okay. yeah.
1: No split to our lighthouse. Um, so just those general barriers and the height issue. A lot of kids aren't used to that. We're perched 130 feet above the lake level. And you can get right up there and hang your head over the side. So that in itself um, can be frightful for kids. And then we have other perceived barriers like why do you have barbed wire? Why, should <laughs> why do you have sharp wire around your site? Um, and actually this is a historical piece. The lighthouse keeper back in the early 40s asked for this to be put in, because visitors were taking their little their little timmies and putting them on the edge of the cliff to get pictures. And it freaked him out. So eventually he lobbied um, the Lighthouse Service to put in this barbed wire fence. So it is historically accurate. But also we have our wonderful bear-proof trash receptacles. And kids go, you don't really have bear here. And it's like, well no, we, we really have bear that come out on the site. Um, we also have other, other critters that tend to visit us. Um, back in 2011 you can see we have a moose that that was during our state shutdown so no one was up there so the moose was like finally I can see the lighthouse on my own um, and this last winter we got a snowy owl um, that sadly almost didn't make it but did and of course the bottom right um, we have a large population of coyote and wolves in our area and so this photo here is on my way to work and I just pulled my car over and I didn't do a close up or anything, so that's how close I was. So those are some of the barriers I think that um, that kids have when visiting our site. Um, Also we have some environmental barriers that Tim's gonna show in a little bit that I didn't even think about because I'm so used to them. Um, So with our site, our field trip numbers are actually really low. And in part, I think it is because we're such a rural site, it's hard for maybe urban schools to get busing out to our site, and Tim will talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, but we would like to open it up to have more, um, more school groups at our site.
0: Okay. All right, my world is a little different. I in an outreach, which means I'm kind of like one of those people that's a free-range chicken within an organization. I can wander about in museums and sites and do all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? And so what we were trying to do is figure out ways, how do we connect our education outreach programs to place-based experience, site-based learning? And what we came up with, what I'm talking about, is the reverse field trip. And uh, largely that comes from Thinking about uh, how we had experienced a lot of rural kids always are fundraising and whatever. It's very common for rural kids to save up their money in their schools and things, and the schools always make a field trip in the spring to what is called the cities Minneapolis and St. Paul, the only urban area really, and that was a very common thing to do. And even as budget cuts happened, there were pressures on, on rural schools to maybe back off that, but they were still coming. But in talking to site managers like Jennifer and other folks, we found very rarely did city kids go out to our non-metro sites. And I thought about that as, as a problem in several ways because you know what we're seeing with recent immigrant populations or even historic minority populations in the state of Minnesota is, how does that shape their sense of their identity within the state? And one of the things that triggered that for me is watching a Minnesota tourism video. Okay, so this is uh, one of these one-minute promotional spots put out by our tourism bureau.
3: Take a trip. Take the train. The car bikes take the kids these kids that kid okay you can come too head east head west and north nope go back that's canada go out have a ball or a few
4: maybe a few more looking good real good hey that looks cool have it there and there and there and relax really relax amazing oh hey, they saved some seats great
3: seats good laugh good times good night whoa get up get your pedals get your paddle get your camera come on get some clothes
4: on okay where's the lake where's the museum where's the beef found it run swim climb, snap twirl dive in tune out smile laugh love take a trip you'll never
0: forget only in minnesota okay how many you want to go I'm Who wouldn't? Crying over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, As you beautiful. see those images flashing by and everything. Though, what kind of are the iconic things that you see about the way Minnesota presents itself? What do you see a lot of? A lot of urban elements are in there, right? The Minnesota History Center's in there, and Mall of America. It's gotta be in there, right? What else do you see? And a lot of white people in this. Subsequent ads have come out that have been more diverse. I think they got a lot of heat for how they were presenting the state. Garrison Keeler, Okay, see that? But you also see a lot of water, a lot of woods, canoes, tents, things like that. Okay? That is not the world of urban youth. Okay? And most of them will go to the Mall of America, but shockingly, St. Paul kids rarely go to Minneapolis, and Minneapolis kids rarely go to St. Paul. That would be considered a big deal. Okay? So it's just quirks of you know all the geographies you're working in. And we work with a lot of schools like Rice Street. You didn't necessarily see Rice Street you know, in that ad. So this is a home to uh, schools that we work with, 50% Southeast Asian populations, 30% African American kids, things like that. So we started thinking about, okay, how do we, I think it really shapes their identity, how they perceive themselves within the state. And how are they attaching themselves to feeling they're part of the narrative, not living inside somebody else's narrative. And that's some of the things that we were thinking about because we we're trying to work on these outreach relationships. And as an institution, we had responded to the decline in field trip numbers by creating field trip subsidies. So the McMillan Field Trip Grants, an endowment from one of our major donors, was supporting rural kids, including some funding that would help them support overnight stays to come into the Twin Cities. And then we had the what if moment in talking to the McMillans. What if we created the opportunity for city kids to go on the reverse field trip? Still needs a better name, but I think you know what we mean, okay? So what we designed with some pilot funding from the McMillans was an overnight adventure where students from the Twin Cities would go up to northern Minnesota, so the route goes this way, where they go up to the Northwest Company Fur Post. They make a stop at the University of Minnesota Duluth where they meet with multicultural students from one of the university campuses. They'll go to uh, a, a state park, Gooseberry Falls, depending on their availability, Split Rock Lighthouse. They will drive across the Minnesota Iron Range to Grand Rapids, Minnesota, which is the Forest History Center. On the way back, they stop at the Mille Lacs Indian Museum and get home hopefully by about four or five the next day. That's a lot of history fun in, uh, in two days. Um, in addition to visiting those sites, we're actually trying to see what is the impact of multiple sites on this, especially since we're also trying to articulate that the story of all these places, from a fur post to American Indian reservation to logging and other things, is actually a story of multiculturalism that is more the norm within the state. So. The other thing is, to be selected to do this, you have to be a National History Day school. The whole idea is trying to attach one relationship they have with us to another, to create that deeper engagement um, with the institution outside of just, we're going on a field trip. So it also is connected to our strategic priorities. We have a strategic priority for educational achievement that specifically challenges us to make a difference in the lives of kids. Our mission as an organization is using the power of history to transform lives. It's not using our historic sites and museums for kids to have fun in the spring. you know. So we're trying to think about, okay, what does that look like in a more, more proactive way? And this is what it looks like when the kids are on the trip. So these are middle school kids, not your usual fourth and fifth graders because we're you know, with the college access component of this, trying to build college readiness and things in this. So this is Gooseberry Falls. And uh, this is the Northwest Company fur post where we're looking at the interrelationship of American Indian nations and fur traders around 1800. And I'm going to duck out of here too so you can actually see the wonderment that is Split Rock Lighthouse. In May. In May, talking about perceived dangers. (laughs) And then uh, just a few minutes later. Okay, you get the drift.
4: I feel so cold and wet just <laughs> watching that.
0: So um, the big challenge, though, of all the sites, you know, we didn't ask the sites to change too much. But when they get to the Forest History Center, we challenged... Uh, the staff there to change their interpretation specifically for these kids. We wanted it to be an immersive experience, not the normal tour. And that was a process of negotiation for me in an outreach capacity and that site manager because we wanted to talk about the kids actually coming up because there's about 50 kids on the trip actually running the logging camp, not just observing the logging camp being run. And we tried a couple variations of that and the you know the first time they they did it but they felt like oh, the kids didn't understand all the workings of this camp when they left because they were so focused on the one job they were given in the cook shack or in the horse barn or something like that so the next time around they kind of went back and say well immersion is instead of eight minute stations at each building we'll give them 12 minutes at each building and the teachers came back and said it just was not what we were doing So at a bar in northern Minnesota, the deal was struck that we would get the kids into the camp, they would get a very quick tour of all the things in the camp, and then they would go do their jobs. And I think the key thing that I talked to the site manager was about is like, you you know what we're trying to get at is here, these kids metaphorically have too many eight to 12 minute relationships in their lives. They need more 30 minute relationships. If your interpreters do not know their names, by the time they're done working with their five or six kid work group, then we have failed. So it was really thinking about, you know, how do we change the nature of the needs of these urban youth up here in the woods with porcupines and horses and stuff. So it's been pretty amazing to see how this has played out. The girl in this photo, Latina girl here, uh, when she first walked into the horse barn with those Belgian draft horses made it about six inches in the door, turn around, and ran. And the teacher had to chase the kid down to get her back in. And she didn't quite make it to pet the horse, but she got within four feet, okay? And the teacher felt that that was probably one of the biggest things that happened to that kid. Um, as they got in the orientation of the site, we take them to the lumberjack bunkhouse. We put them in there, give them a little bit of an orientation. They've been divided up into their work groups. We put them to bed for five minutes they have to crawl up in these bunks there are bats in this building and whatnot so these kids have to suspend disbelief go to bed for five minutes we wake them up in lumberjack speak daylight in the swamp and then they are sent out to do their jobs which means not watching the blacksmith working with this blacksmith to make a hook and so these young women had their prized possession that they were able to work on for about a half an hour sparks and hot metal and everything Uh, we got kids cooking in the cook shack we thought food was very important to this so at the end of this is about a three hour experience the kids are in there they don't get to eat the food that the kids kick cook because of health safety regulations or whatever but they get they're like suddenly eating prunes and stuff that they would (laughs) never would do because they caught onto the immersive stuff. So the outcomes, as we measure this, you know, 90% of these kids agreed or strongly agreed. Stronger connection to Minnesota. Better understanding Minnesota history. They could see themselves as successful college students in ways that they want. And the idea that they would try to act upon this experience in a way to connect with their families. We're still experimenting with how do we then help them get their families to want to drive two to three hours to experience one of these places especially from urban communities but other than these statistics the teachers were really most impressed with the social emotional learning that happened uh, within the experience because for them they're always looking for that kid this is the kid that no teacher will ever take on a field trip and that because of they put trust in her and gave her these layers of engagement They saw this kid exhibit behaviors that they never see in school. And I think as you start to see the power of place-based learning, that's the kind of stuff um, that you can keep an eye out for. And as a kid summarized it, everybody that works in interpretation wants this to happen, right? And so um, I think that's been one of the more rewarding parts of the experiment, which is an ongoing experiment for us. And the number one thing that surprised us, we thought all these amazing lumberjack experiences and all this other stuff, but these kids spending the night in the Super 8 Motel in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, what do you think is the coolest thing of the whole adventure?
3: Hotel waffles.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you, you know, always expect the unexpected. Okay? So, transitioning. <laughs> sure.
3: well, thank
2: you. We'll, we'll,
3: Rotate. Um, oh, chairs. all the way over.
2: Da, da,
4: da.
2: Okay, Um, so I'm here to talk about experiences uh, on the Little Mountain, Monticello. A quick show of hands, has anyone visited? Okay, would you describe it as urban or rural? Shout it out. To some kids, Charlottesville is the big city, as a matter of fact. Um, but uh, just as a segue from uh, the waffle maker for students who like many of us here view it as a rural area coming from inner-city Richmond or Washington DC they remember the bus ride as one of the most exciting things there was a bathroom on the bus is what we hear um, for one of our largest outreach programs um, and I thought, I thought that the guides, uh, when I, I've worked at Monticello for four years now, when I came on, the guides who do a fabulous job at delivering these school programs told me when the Richmond City students come, some of them are afraid they are going to fall off the mountain. And I thought that this was a joke of some kind, but sure enough, students who have never seen in real life a mountain, albeit a little one, um, who have only seen it portrayed in high relief in cartoons or movies, Um, in high drama are can be afraid that they're gonna fall off it doesn't help that we have a windy road going up there Uh, but there you have it so this is Monticello Uh, overall we see close to about four hundred and fifty thousand visitors a year Uh, last year we saw about sixty six thousand students and teachers and some will come uh, do a self-guided visit Uh, some come and do guide to school programs of two and a half or four hours which I used to think were so long they go by in the blink of an eye Um, And many of the students that we see, about 10% of those who visit, um, we invite to the site through special outreach programs. Um, And some of those come from areas of high need that are very rural areas. And those are the students I refer to when I say uh, they think Charlottesville is the big city. Um, Maybe they are in rural areas of far western Virginia, Appalachia, West Virginia. Um, But many students we see come from Washington, D.C. areas, Um, Richmond inner city we do see a ton of students who come all the way from across the country West Coast students coming to visit they are the most confused of all and um, for them we mainly just want to make sure they know that they're at Thomas Jefferson's house not Mount Vernon or Gettysburg or New York City or anything like that but um, point being each student who comes brings a different perspective to our site um, and with that different assumptions and, and different fears Uh, So if we're here to think about how, um, within the sort of framework of a school program or a field trip, um, learning happens, it it might not just be about the program that you have so carefully put together to deliver to them. Uh, A lot happens before they even get to you. And think about the ride and what time they woke up in the morning and how long they've been on the school bus, uh, whether they've ever been to a site like yours before or ever even visited a museum before, And that really impacts um, their starting place with regard to your content. So you might think you're about to deliver a program um, that really delves into big thinking ideas, Thomas Jefferson and the Enlightenment, Monticello's a working plantation, and they are excited, um, and this is a true story, a student who visited us had never seen the horizon before. And that is special learning, and we need to make room for that and create space for it. So I wrote, it's not just about you, the field trip is larger than the program that you've designed for these students. So these are two teacher quotes. One says, just to get out of the city and travel out here is a big deal for my students. Another said, because they saw and touched it, it becomes real to the kids. Some of my kids have never been out of the Richmond area. Here's another one. More than half of our students have never traveled through the Hampton Roads Tunnel that is less than five miles away They were so excited. As we traveled to the mountains, students related each experience to classroom lessons. I'm sure this will touch their lives and change the way they see the world. So, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit. Knowing your sight. So, anticipate what are the things that might be new and exciting for students when they come, what have they never done before, and what can your site offer them um, that could be true life learning and social learning for them. Um, In the upper left hand corner here you see two thumbs up, three thumbs up total, and then two kids on the side who are giving like a no way face. They've just eaten raw garlic for the first time, which I know is extreme, but along the way they also tried fresh radishes from the garden, tomatoes from Thomas Jefferson's garden, and at that point Yes, we are there to talk about Thomas Jefferson as America's founding foodie and his 1,000-foot-long vegetable garden in Ellis Island, so to speak, of plants. They are just there for the first time experiencing fresh vegetables coming out of the ground and eating them. And that's, that's their learning experience right then. Students rolling hoops on the west lawn, um, on the bottom right-hand corner here, possibly being on a house tour for the first time. Maybe they're just learning how to be in a museum. And creating space and quiet for them to wonder and wonder aloud and talk with someone next to them. Maybe that doesn't mean they're breaking the rules. They're not not listening. They're responding to their environment and they're making their own memories. Um, So we have students doing some classroom lessons here, working with the teaching collection. Um, if If the point of what we say we offer on field trips is that students can learn in ways that they can't in the classroom, really being cognizant of what that means and so much of it is experiential. Oh, I have to come clean about something. I didn't even think about any of this before last night, but this is the beauty of a conference hotel bar. right? (laughs) So we were finishing our slides, and we were in a conversation with um, Anita Durrell, and she was talking about work, and I have them um, credited here, done by Susie Wilking, and um, we were talking about the idea of three stories, three ways of thinking about a visit. There's the story the site wants to tell. There's the story the visitor brings with them, and then there's the story of the visit itself, and that is the true souvenir of the day. So I, I think we're here to wonder, uh, what if that the story of the visit itself got to take precedence and was of primary importance, because I, I at least am guilty of quite often making the story the site wants to tell the first thing on my mind. Um, so you were talking about goals and outcomes earlier, increasingly a goal and outcome of ours is that we want students to share an experience with their teachers families fellow students we want them to make a memory um, and leave excited to talk about their visit with someone else to share their experience with someone else and frankly if that's because they had time to enjoy a view and look at the horizon for the first time and take a photo together and laugh and run on the west lawn, um, then that's a very special thing. And that's that's the beauty of learning outside the classroom, right?
1: Oh, back to Jen. Oh, so we threw up this slide kind of like a, okay, you heard all this, but so what? Like, what does it matter if kids do these reverse field trips or have these experiences? And sorry, it's a little grainy, but if you look at it, the last two lines are what's most important. Um, 25 years from now, our population, 46% is going to be considered in the minority, and currently only 9% of our visitation, museum population, is at 9%. Um, So what's that going to look like in 25 years? Who's going to be visiting us at our sites and our museums? Um, They say as youth have these museum experience, it increases not only their critical thinking, um, but also their historical empathy. Um, and tolerance, and this is especially true for students in rural or high poverty areas. So um, what we wanted to do at this point was kind of turn it over to you and pose some questions that you might be facing um, within your own institutions or museums. Um, There. So do we want to go through that?
0: Well, I think what we can do, we can answer any specific questions that you might have about some of the stuff that we've shared.
2: We're really good on timing.
0: We are ridiculously on time, okay? Um, And, you know, I know we've kind of, as I'm hearing us do our presentation, we're kind of focusing a lot on kind of going on the country mouse kind of thing. And I think, you know, anything discussion you want to have on city mouse kind of thing, it's more, you know, city mice can stay in the city, too. It's okay. And those experiences are things that, um, you know, shape, and especially rural kids coming into metro areas also have just kind of the flip side of, of these things. But I think our goal was just kind of ignite this discussion about kind of thinking about these populations that you have similar goals, but they might have a little bit of, of different needs in terms of access, and a lot about place-based learning, because I think you heard a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of technology that we have introduced into this discussion, you know. and in some of the ways things that we were doing with the kids from st paul st paul adopted one-to-one ipads for virtually every kid in the district so they were saying oh well the kids have to bring their ipads and i'm like going ah you know you cannot have them experience this stuff through their little screens so they had to find the the balancing act about how to 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 think about technology and that kind of another issue so Uh, why don't we just kind of see is there there any other questions or clarifying things about the things that we went through in our little case studies
2: can i give an example from lunch you may maybe this will get some um, city mice thinking um so i thought i would sort of pilot this whole session over lunch just to make sure that we still wanted to do it two hours later and (laughs) we did Um, and someone at my table said that um, the thing they know that the stimulus that um, just sends students off the ledge with excitement and their sight is the escalator because students who visit have never been on an escalator before so she said we intentionally take the back stairs they don't even let the students like smell it or see it it's like nothing to see here and then at the end of the program they let the students go and she said we actually have to teach them how to step onto and off of the escalator um, and that's a life skill that they're learning. And it, it may or may not be um, mission related. Maybe it depends on the mission of your institution, um, how, how broad or how narrow it is. It might not use the word escalator. Um, but we're thinking of things like that, that if you're, if you, and you each know it. What is the thing in your site, or the, the button in your exhibit, or the specific screen, the thing that will just throw groups into a tizzy, or cause questions? I'm seeing some knowing looks and I want to I wanna ask someone to share, do you have anything like this in your home institution um, that is, to use our, our language here, it's either an opportunity or a distraction, depending on how you look at it. Um, it's an intentional part of the
4: exhibition experience, it like elevator or escalator or something, it's just kind of big. Okay, intentionally part of the exhibit. It's <laughs> <laughs> or because it's like you through time yes. but it's not so far away that it's like oh I have own front or it's, like it's close enough that they feel comfortable mm-hmm. to run in there but not so comfortable that like oh my mom would yell at me if I climb through the front window so they climb through the front window so and <laughs> all rules are off it's this weird spot between it's familiar enough that they're comfortable
2: right. it's like Alice in Wonderland or yeah, something that or it's
4: just different enough Yeah. Yeah. flow through the yellow house and feel in the, the hallway. It, and it's just, like, how do you keep that experience as cool as it can be that you don't want to be screaming and not flying
2: through the window and not conditions up the window? Yeah. Like it just flows when they hit it. So good, exploded, and bad. Yeah. So well, how, how do you?
0: Yeah. And how many of you, just to throw another angle in the mix, how many of you work in sites that have animals?
2: Oh, animals driving kids bong. How many
0: of you have seen kids do what I like to call the poo dance? <laughs> there's poo, and it's like, ah, how am I going to deal with that? So, you know, it's like houses, poo, I mean, there's there's always something. So, any other thoughts along those lines? Nice and loud. We have a staircase uh,
4: at one of our sites that it used to be on the tour, and so we have all these teachers that have been doing field trips, fourth grade field trips, and they love that staircase, but it's not part of our uh, educational mm. goal anymore. But they come to the site, and the first thing they do is they want to talk about the staircase, and the kids then get all distracted by the staircase, because then you have to go into the explanation of how it's a floating staircase. And they're like, are we going to fall? Mm-hmm. Are we going to fall? And then they have to get their pictures Mm on the staircase and by that time you're 15 minutes into your 45 minute of your lucky tour Mm -hmm. and trying to get their attention back to learning about government and civics and how Mm -hmm. our state is run and they're just not paying any look of attention because they want to stand on this staircase and look over the edge and they've just never seen anything like it because it's a unique kind of a Mm -hmm. staircase all
0: right we had somebody in the back
4: Mm-hmm. and when they walk in and they sit around the table and there are things on the table that we try not to have them touch just because there are ways and things on there and things that might be a problem. But for the most part everything is there, they can they, they feel like they're part of the space and they smell it and, and that really that that's one of the highlights until we bring a match the chickens and that
0: the chickens went out of the hard fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> well I think what we wanted to do to kind of you know, build on some of the things you're already introducing is kind of break, you know, these, these groups up. So, yeah. Jacqueline, you want to kind of get yeah. them organized here?
2: Yeah. First, I want to apologize if anyone thought we were going to answer the question of how do you support student learning in new environments. We're just here to ask you um, and get some get some good ideas out. So maybe I'll, I'll walk around and try to do some scribe work, and if anyone can assist along the way at their groups, that's good. Uh, we do have five tables. There are numbers written in the middle of those tables that correspond to these questions, um, so you can self-select what you want to talk about. We can also feel free to throw some new questions up there. But um, here's what we're thinking about: one, which is right here. How do we need to work differently to increase access to history for urban and rural students? I'm going to ask the author of this question what exactly he had in mind when he wrote
0: it. Well, I think in what we've been sharing is, and I think you got this as well, Jacqueline. Is like, you know, there's always our perceptions what we need to do, but you know, access has become a big issue, whether it's financial, but it's also intellectual access. How do we, you know, deal with issues of, of relevancy within these places? So if you want to kind of be part of a group to kick that around, and then, you know, we'll kind of see how these ideas flow out at the end when we get people to re- report out.
2: Table two, do you have table two? You have a number, great. Um, know thy site, this one was mine. So what are opportunities or distractions? So in each one of these, uh, I mean, all three of them, actually, that you gave, Sort of depending on the framing or timing of it or management of that moment, it could be a great opportunity to get kids excited. Don't we want them to feel excited when they are at our sites? However, I could hear the fatigue, and and fatigue is the nicest word I could have used, I think, um, in the telling of some of this, that sometimes it is just plain distraction. It it gets you off track, and then you, as you said, lose precious time, um, and that's not what we're here to talk about. So is there any way to first identify what at your site is going to be that kind of a trigger and then figure out, is it an opportunity? And we want to find a way to loop it in. Um, again, from our lunch conversation, someone told me about an art museum. I think it was in Miami. And they just they realized that so many kids, although they live in Miami, had never seen the ocean. So they started every school program by walking two blocks just so kids could see the ocean. And then they walked back and started their program because that was an ex- a learning experience. It was an opportunity that they wanted to take advantage of, to share an ocean view with students who might never have seen it before. So is it an opportunity, or when is something just plain a a distraction for students? I
1: through. Great. So as we have these groups coming to our sites, what can we do to prepare them? Not only the students, but the teachers that are coming to the site, maybe for the first time. So what sort of information can we front load them with? So the kids and the um, teachers know kind of ahead of time what they're getting into and what they may see and experience. at our sites and museums. Table three, can you
2: raise your hand so we know where
0: that. Ah. Okay, and number four kind of gets at you know some of the things that we're wrestling with because a lot of us are being held to volumetric measurements. How many visitors? And if your push is running volume through, you know that volume is the enemy of depth of learning. So what is the challenge then to try and create experiences that try to find a better balance between that and are there alternative ways of thinking about the times of year that you're doing programs or, or opening up you know we've asked jennifer can we come in april well, well that's a staffing challenge well you gotta work through those things mm-hmm. to try and see okay we might be able to do more with kids uh... if if we had thought differently about when we were getting them there so that's table number four where's table number four down there Okay, and the last one uh... you know you heard from both Monticello and, and some of the things that we're working on, how many of you have scholarship or subsidy type programs facilitating student access to your sites, and museums? You know, there's kind of that, uh, there's benefits for doing that, but there's also dangers in creating cultures of subsidies, so you gotta make decisions about what is what is the biggest bang for that, that buck. If you have other questions you wanna throw in the mix and in, in some of these tables are spin off, then we're we're happy for you to, to kind of jump into other issues and then just kind of see where your discussion goes from there. So table five, where's table five? Okay, we have not designated the chairs in the back corner as having an identity.
2: <laughs> That's no man's land. So
0: uh, um, so if you would like to sort yourselves out, okay, by those different tables, and we'll give you a good uh, 20 minutes, and feel free to move chairs, move around, and And we'll help facilitate those discussions.
2: Can we say at five we'll call time? A little bit less than twenty? Okay.
0: You guys are distributing yourselves so well.
3: before are you before deciding? trying to put
0: someone in the the end of she's yep. seventy five just a to you have already had.
4: I he just
3: you named them I do I know the oh, good. Good. Yeah. 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 It's That's yeah. yeah. I mean, true. And then i like, kind right. the of a yeah. It's true. Right, right. right. And it's fun, too. i yeah. It's yeah. fun to see that, and yeah. that's my yeah. yeah. That's true, yeah. I <laughs> have
4: a high level. Yeah. I do yes. please Okay, that's a part of yeah. Last All year years, okay. <laughs> so, And we've cool. uh, got right. so a of our technology. Now what? I know. So, uh, yeah, well, i like, yeah. work well, like, very, well. very well, but it's because good but it's of in a circle of the the and so, good. Good. i not to me, Okay. Saying, we where, to go. Uh, some, uh, one of the things
3: that you know, might we around, around to be so so I just kind of put in a
4: about preparing them for experiences that they have. So for me, I to see
0: kids like them there, like a or something like that. So peer model when they one day years old, still a hurdle for a lot of organizations. That was uh, constant. Get
4: That rap, I I, that, I ask, like, We kind of push that on are actually If you're So sometimes yeah. so, you know, like, try to add I think out
2: question And so, a little bit of it's a yeah, yeah. I, um, I think uh, there's are don't actually be there. All. And our oh, okay. will be there. Yeah. Yeah. i don't think There's video that, you know, that's the, I mean, the I mean, six that it's it's going on, exactly like, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. it's yeah. working yeah. really
4: yeah. well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but they It's that Exactly. I So it was like, built in as it was about to launch at one time, so first of all, mm-hmm. time. and we're like, well, hey, we have to this. cool. Yeah. So awesome. Choose size. Nice. American that's to like next yeah. 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 And then the top of all that. of course we have like
0: All right, you have a couple minutes to consolidate your brilliance. And we'll see what you come up with. I they can the Okay. All right. From the little bit that I've been circulating around, um, and we hear these discussions unfolding, was what we would hope. Because how many of you have been to an ASLH session where the presenters just wax on wonderfully, and then two minutes for questions? Oh, no one. Not us, right? No,
2: no one raised their hand. I'm impressed.
0: Well, things are looking <laughs> up are around changing. here. Um, but just like the little things that. We you know that at least I was hearing, and I asked uh, uh, Jennifer and Jacqueline too, but I heard things like middle school and high school kids in some becoming part of the discussion, which usually is not the case you know k five is like that that big spot k six at the out, but middle and high school kids are not necessarily the folks you see a lot um, you totally know, and,
2: depends on your site
0: and it de- yeah it does depend on your site so But uh, let's hear from some of the the tables. Table one. Yeah,
4: um, we have no no answer to this question. We kind of spent our time discussing our um, different, our different challenges, does that seem fair to everybody? Um, Which um, ranged from how to get people, out from, from more than 15 miles away from your from your site to actually come in, and we um, we did suggest some possibilities, including a colleagues session tomorrow about bus bus funding, not tomorrow Saturday, last <laughs> session, <laughs> uh, Andy Berhoff, I forget the title of it, um, and um, and my own personal challenges with trying to get an online textbook into rural schools and urban schools, which have similar challenges in term in terms of internet access, and Help me out, Matt, with what your specific no challenges uh, are. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sorry, there's only so much that fits in my brain at this stage. Uh,
3: dealing with urban school districts, um, difficult school districts, and also making our site appeal to more, more than fourth-grade audiences because yes. fourth grade is Indiana standards. How do we get that out to middle of high school?
4: Which was something that actually was a was a shared challenge, yes. And I was uh, just inspired by the idea of the field trip, the reverse field trip, and thinking that our organization has hosted some NEH landmark and summer institute workshops for teachers over the summer. And wouldn't that be fun if we did something like that for students and work with our sites in that way because we could really improve our relationship with the outreach department with the sites. So just are thinking about that.
0: In general, how many of you have been wrestling with that access question? You know, where you know there's audiences out there, but you just... Don't really know how to how to get out. I think it's just one of those universal things that you yeah. just got to keep keep plugging away on. Any other thoughts on on that? Ed? So uh, table two, Jacqueline, uh, What are your people talking about over there? We had so
2: much fun sharing what our different distractions were. Um, and um, what did I hear about? I heard, we talked about ghosts. Um, we talked more about animals. Um, we talked about. Um, Guns and artillery, and uh, how those are incredible distractions. I was reminded. I probably blocked this memory of the first school program I ever gave in Monticello that I worked so hard to prepare for,
4: and the final moments. A hawk descended from the sky and killed a squirrel. <laughs> um,
2: and we laughed and we cried. Um, and in the end, we decided that sometimes there's only so much you can do about it, and you just decide to be zen and embrace it and embrace the idea of childhood and wonderment and innocence, and if they want to run around and catch frogs on their field trip, uh, that that might be why they remember your site 20 years from now. And maybe you didn't know you were going to grow up to talk about the differences between otters and groundhogs, Jenny, but at Yorktown (laughs) Battlefield, you can learn the difference between an otter and a groundhog. Uh, What else did I not capture? I'd love to hear from the table. Again. Oh, because, oh, debunking. Uh, we talked about uh, this gets back to the idea of the story that people bring with them. Uh, so when a teacher has uh, either misinformed or, shall we say, like, very much politicized and swayed the opinion of his or her group, that can be challenging to um, do that. to talk about that
4: at all? Yeah, well, I'm at the Sixth Floor Museum at Daly Plaza the site of the Prince of assassination, and So, that is already, I mean, just saying that everybody has (laughs) an opinion in a room. And so, if you are a teacher and you are prone to one side or another, or one opinion or another about, you know, what actually happened, and you prep your students for that, um, then I spend, um, when I see your students, I spend, out of my 45 minutes, 15 minutes, debunking all of those theories. But what I try to do as a learning opportunity for challenging them to think critically about anything that they hear and that this is one, what you've heard is one opinion, one side and that there's lots of other people with other thoughts and so my challenge is to go home and research that on credible websites and to um, ask questions and learn for yourself so that's what, you know, it takes 15 minutes to do that. Because um, they keep going, well, what
1: about this? Well, what about this?
4: So it, it's, a, it's a learning opportunity that just is a time suck. But it's a learning opportunity.
2: we also talk about the idea of age appropriateness that some programs, that it's okay to say, we
4: actually recommend yeah. this for certain age groups. Yeah, we, at our site, we don't recommend anything below 5th grade. Um, and 5th grade, I think, is still sometimes too young, depending on the group, um, for an assassination site.
0: You're with some big well, how many of you have places where you know you literally have to try and take the smoking gun out of, the, or get ahead of people's perceptions? You know. Did I mention I work at Monotone? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is that. I think actually, I, smoking gun reference was not just Table <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. hey, Three. How can we better prepare teachers and students for these
2: experiences?
4: You can't. No, but really. <laughs> we talked about sending teachers a link to like a promotional video that taught content and museum etiquette, and maybe like a day before their visit, so that you just can click on that, just show the kids it real fast, five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's not a lot of work for the teachers to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gotta be easy. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Over lunch, someone suggested using the time. Like we know they're going to be on the bus. How can you use the time when they're gonna be you know in transit anyway because teachers have you know such scarce time in the classroom, maybe building something uh, mm-hmm. on the way there to help them, but even showing photos, yeah, showing a video link. I'll just say we
4: had the video link, it's like an orientation that the teachers work with us, we sent them a YouTube link, and it's like, hey, welcome to the museum, this is where you're gonna park. Yeah. You're gonna stay on the bus, you're gonna come in. And we would know that not only are the teachers watching it sure and she's in the chat room, but they watch it with too, because they'll walk in and
1: people are from Desktop and go, hey, you're from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they're watching it in the classroom,
4: even just
1: minimizing you know, the of like, oh, yeah, this is like in like, nice like, the lobby. I don't know if not actually had to be like, it works. So we have just in the last few years for MNHS, we've done field trip videos um, at, at the majority of our sites that the teachers could watch this. And it always ends with a
3: question. Oh, so poses so a question that the kids have to figure out. Hello, kids! How about a game of lumberjack lingo? Lumberjacks had a lot of different words for different things. Question one. If you're a lumberjack, in the swamp. and this cook serves you a plate of sweat pads for breakfast.
1: They're almost ready
3: to come out. You're eating a sausages. B toast or C pancakes. And the answer is C pancakes. That's just some of the lumberjack lingo you'll already know when you head into the woods. You kids know anything about trees to a 1900 logging camp at the Forest History Center.
2: Ho. Oh. You're learning and having fun at the same yeah.
3: time. Get ready to use your muscles just like Minnesota's lumberjacks did. One, two, three. Ooh, so hard. Now I have the bull cook here in the camp. You'll meet their helpers. What do you think we feed the horses here in the logging camp? You'll pull some timber. Get him,
4: get him.
3: <laughs> and you'll let loose just like lumberjacks when all the day's hard work was done. We're looking forward to your visit, but before we go, one more round of Lumberjack Lingo. If you're enjoying a cup of swamp water, are you drinking A, milk, B, tea, or C, root beer? Think about it, talk about it, and find out the answer when you visit the Forest History Center. Kids? (laughs) (laughs) Kids? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you know, I think they intentionally wanted to make those not dual, those, those, and try to get the visual engagement in those. So, any other thoughts from teacher?
4: depth
2: versus volume.
0: Depth versus volume. I heard some good things out of that table.
2: Bring us home.
4: just layering
0: but trying to scaffold the experience back you know into the classroom you know, where possible you know I think I, I was in the part of the conversation you're talking about you know fourth graders being facilitated by eighth graders that were trained in that kind of peer you know leadership and that intergenerational as it comes up and Everything, I I think, is just, you know, those are some really great models, if you can pull them off. Um, As we've been looking at place-based learning research, a lot of it's based on science and nature type sites, not history sites. But one of the things that struck me, and you you brought it up, uh, is that in the United Kingdom, as they've been looking at kids going to national trust or whatever their their sites are. um, They're really showing that kids have to go to a place more than once especially higher need kids. Um, And that the outcome of them doing that, whether those fourth graders then become those eighth graders or however it works, or visiting the same site more than once during a school year or something like that, is they start to develop what they could measure as guardianship, that they felt a layer of ownership of that place that they wouldn't get if they were doing it just as a one-off field trip, which I thought was kind of interesting. and i think you also see a lot of standards alignment that's that's shaping that as well so well you know in in summary i mean it is a challenge i mean but you know when the magic happens and you start thinking about ways to continue to facilitate that in in new and different ways and um i think what we're hoping is that you know by introducing at least some of these ideas it would would you know initiate some conversations that that you can take back and and uh think about a lot of those equity issues and kind of realizing that rural and urban challenges aren't going away. They're probably just going to amplify and starting to think about how, you know, your, your organizations can address that is an important conversation to have.
2: Thank you so much for coming to the session. We had a lot of fun.
0: All right. Thanks. Thank Evaluations.
2: And if anyone would like to grab, I brought the school programs for Monticello this year. If you'd like to grab it, I don't have to take it home. There you go. Thank you, co-presenters. You are joys. Thank you for taking notes, although I said I would and didn't. That's okay. I'm that right was lovely. Here. And I don't think we need to. We I'm
1: need gonna to take, take a, a, I'm a, take a, a photo. photo of it. You take a photo of it and you send it to our My favorite this one when I got in here. <laughs> 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 yeah. Now I feel like I have it Yeah, now I'm going to hit the bourbon. I even bought a shot anybody wants a mic, tell them Raise your hand. You're then. You. Do high then. high Thanks for
3: coming in. Thank you. sharing yeah. the love.
4: Yeah.
1: I need to find Jonathan. I need to find Gary. Did you hear that also? No, no, what happened? So, when we were past your you Oh, yeah. They